Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Pastor Anthony, thank you so much for coming down this morning, heckling me, and for leading worship. <laughs> uh, it's so good uh, to have and Cameron's here, back from South Carolina, so welcome Pastor Cameron. What? And Japan, that's right, you're in Japan. Jeez. Welcome to Vandalia, Cameron. All right, well today we are continuing our series on the upward journey and continuing our mini-series within that series on the practical journey. What did I say? Upward. Upward? That was a few months ago. I guess I'm yeah. So good that Cameron and Anthony are with us this morning, <laughs> keeping me on, on track. Yeah, we're on the upward journey, we're in a... Many, no! <laughs> Can, <laughs> we're seriously on the outward journey. There it is. We're on the outward journey. What is the outward journey? It's, it's where we extend the kingdom. Uh, how do we extend the, the kingdom in, in our world, in our community, in our culture? Uh, we're in a mini-series within that series, which will remain nameless for the rest of the sermon we're calling the, the practical journey. We've talked how to do the outward journey for the last few months, but now we want to go, well, how do we actually practice this? How do we do this with our families? How do we do this at work? Last week, Kathy was here, gave a great message on how we do the outward journey at work. And next week, Jimmy is going to be here talking about how we do the outward journey on the streets. And today, I get to talk about how do we do this with our families? How do we take the outward journey with our families? And it's going to seem like I'm talking uh, primarily to parents this morning, and that is relatively true. But if you are here and you're not a parent yet, or you don't plan on being a parent, or your kids have up and moved along... I just want to encourage you that we are not off the hook, right? We are all part of the family of God. And so we all have a role to play uh, as we pass on our faith and we take our next generation on the outward journey. Earlier this year in September, Amber, my wife Amber and I, dropped our oldest daughter Emma off at Ferris State University. And that is kind of a, um, an emotional time for a parent to, to take your kids somewhere and go, all right, see you later, we'll see you in a few months. And the whole time we were up there, it was kind of emotional. Amber's a little more emotional than I am, maybe. And, uh, and so we're getting her moved in and we're getting her room set up and building this loft bed in, in her dorm. We met her dorm mate, her roommate, and... Um, and, and the whole time we're, we're moving in, I'm, I'm thinking, and have I done everything that I've needed to do to prepare her for this next step in her journey? Have I taught her how to figure things out? Is she going to remember to eat a fruit once in a while? Right? Is she going to be able to figure out, oh, this is when my class meets, and this is where it meets, and let me kind of figure out how long it's going to take there? And all these things that Amber and I have kind of taken care of for a long time, reminding her, hey, remember, you've got uh, that assignment due at, at the end of the week. Don't forget about it. 
Yeah, I know you want to watch cartoons, but well, that's not really what she did. I know you want to go on Tumblr, but just uh, make sure you get your homework done. But we're not going to be there, right? We're sending her out, and it was this emotional time. And in the book of Deuteronomy, how am I going to tie this into the book of Deuteronomy? Moses is standing on the east side of the Jordan with the people of Israel. And he is about to send them into the promised land. And he is not going to be able to go. You see, they were at this place 40 years before. They had, uh, they had seen God deliver them out of Egypt, travel up to the promised land. They were on the, the doorstep there of the promised land, and they were ready to take the land. And the people decide, let's send in some spies and just make sure what we're getting ourselves into. Moses is like, okay, let's do it. They send these 12 spies in. They come back, like, well, the, the good news is that this is a really great land. Lots of big fruit. Look at the size of these grapes. Everything is going to be great. Uh, bad news, a lot of giants. A lot of giants there uh, the, the, with walled cities. And the, the walls actually go up to the sky. Um, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. This, uh, this is not going to happen. Joshua and Caleb are like, no, trust God. We've seen how he's provided for us. He will see us into this land. But the, the people, the ten spies grumble. They get the whole uh, Israelite people grumbling. And God's like, yep, you're right. You're not taking this land. And so they are sent out into the wilderness for 40 years. God says, this entire generation of fighting men is going to die in the wilderness. And then I will take your kids, your next generation, and bring them into the land. And so here they are. That is where the book of Deuteronomy picks up. Moses wishes that he could go with them, but God said, nope, Moses, you are not going into the promised land either. And so he's standing there before the people of Israel, sending them in, and he wants to make sure that he has communicated everything that he's supposed to communicate to the people. Because this is the end of the road for him. When I dropped Emma off, uh, I was just two hours away. I could drive up there and help her out if she needed something. I called her or texted her every day until Amber said, why don't you slow down on the, the texting there, Mark? Uh, she's probably fine. Um, but I was close enough. I could, I could come and help her if she needed me. But this was it for Moses. Not only wasn't he going, but he was dying. And in... Get my clicker here. And in verse... Uh, 9 of chapter 4, he says this to the people. He says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. A couple chapters later, he says, these commands I give you and impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So in one sense, the book of Deuteronomy is this encouragement from Moses to, guys, remember all that God has done. And when you remember, continue to pass those things down to your kids so that they can pass them down to their kids so that the, Israel, the Israelite nation can be a witness of God in the place where he is sending them. Don't forget these things. 
And for us, this is our challenge as well. Right? We need to pass on the faith to the next generation. And so why did Moses take so much time, the entire book of Deuteronomy, to instruct Israel to remind them of all that God had done? And I think there's two things that are important for us today. Number one, he wants to see them thrive. Right? He wants to see them live long and prosperously in this land that he's sending them. And number two, he wants to see God glorified among the nations. So we're going to spend most of our time looking at chapter 4 in Deuteronomy today. And the first thing we see is that Moses wanted to see Israel thrive. Right here at the beginning of the chapter, he says, Now Israel, here are the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take the land, and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Right? He says, Remember to teach these things. Why? So that you may live. Right? So that you may prosper in this land the Lord is giving you. He wanted to see them thrive. A couple of verses later, he says, You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. And that is a story you can look up in Numbers 25. Uh, the, the Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Mm-hmm. See, Moses had seen for 40 years the, the benefit of the people when they would surrender to God, when they would obey him, when they would uh, submit themselves to what he had called them to do. He, they would be blessed and they would thrive and they would grow. But in the the same way, he had seen with his own eyes when the Israelites would turn their back on God, when they would reject him, they would reap the consequences of those actions. They would step into God's judgment. But God wanted them to prosper. He wanted to bless them. And Moses knew if we as a people will submit and surrender to God, we will thrive in this land we are going into. And second, Moses wanted to see God glorified among the nations. He remembered the the promise that God had given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that that Israel would be a blessing to all of the nations. And here, this is verse 6 of chapter 4, I think. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. Who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people? What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today. And so Moses wanted to see God glorified, and he knew that as the nation submitted to God, not only would they benefit, but the other nations would take notice, and God would be glorified through them. 
We see this play out in 1 Kings 10 when Solomon, because of his obedience to God and his relationship with God, he sees his kingdom prosper and blessed. So much so that other nations, including the the Queen of Sheba, came to, to see what is going on here. And when the Queen of Sheba saw all that God was doing and how he had blessed Solomon, she praised the Lord. She glorified God. And Moses wanted to see that happen. And he knew that it was only going to happen if they would submit and obey the Lord. And this is why Moses took his people, or he spent so much time talking to his people, recounting what God had done. And this is the reason why we want to lead our kids on the outward journey, right? Moses wanted to see his people thrive and God glorified, and we lead our kids because we want to see them thrive. Mm -hmm. They're going to go somewhere that we're never going to see. Emma is reaching and ministering and hanging out with people at Ferris State University that I'm never even going to see their face. And yet, as I have prepared her to submit and oh, obey God, to, to glorify God with her life, right? she is going to glorify God in that place. So how does Moses do it? How does Moses instruct Israel? Well, what we're going to look at today is that the instruction of God was rooted in the story of God. I thought it was interesting that Anthony sang a song. I didn't know what that last song was, but he sang, Catch Me Up in Your Story. Catch Me Up in Your Story. And really that is kind of the main theme of this message. God, catch me up in your story so that I can catch the next generation up in your story. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, the first four verses of Deuteronomy, just kind of setting the context, setting the scene, Israel is east of the Jordan, they've just defeated a couple of kings, and Moses is ready to begin giving his final decrees, his final addresses to Israel. And it says in verse 5 and 6, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, You have stayed at the mountain long enough. And what I thought was interesting is that Moses saying, I'm going to start telling you the law. He does not go into the Ten Commandments, right? That comes in a little bit. He does not start and say, remember, don't uh, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk, right? (laughs) He doesn't start with any of those commands and instructions and laws that he had, had had received at Mount Sinai, right? He begins to tell them the story. He says, remember how you were slaves in in Egypt. Remember how God heard your cry and answered you and and sent Moses to deliver you. Remember how he showed his strong right arm with the the plagues. Remember how he parted the Red Sea, how he defeated the Egyptian army. Remember how he provided for you in the wilderness, gave you water when you were thirsty and food when you were hungry. You see, it's within the story of God, this story which reveals God's heart of love that Moses communicates the instruction of God. In chapter 5, when Moses finally gets around to the Ten Commandments, he starts out, this is the introduction to the, the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, 
You shall have no other gods before me. So often when I have read that, I have seen it as the, that first part there being this declaration of God's power and his willingness and, and his ability to crush us if we don't obey these Ten Commandments he's about to give us. He's strong. I can do it. Don't get on my bad side. But that's not what he is doing at all. He's revealing his heart. Remember, I am the Lord, your God. I brought you up out of Egypt because I heard your cries. I love you so much. Have no other gods before me. When I was in oh, early elementary, late elementary school, I guess, I think I'm, in my brain I was in like fifth grade. I had to give a, a speech in front of the, the whole class, and you could pick whatever you wanted to, to talk about. And I chose castles, because castles are sweet. And I remember standing there in front of the class, and I had my poster uh, that had a diagram of a castle with little arrows, and like, this is a drawbridge, and this is a whatever those things are. I knew it at the time. That was a long time ago. I can't remember all the parts of a castle. But I was standing there, and I had my little index cards uh, with, with my notes, and I'm going through my, my speech in front of the class, and I get to the last uh, note card, and it says, in conclusion, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> very clearly standing there with that... Uh, with that index card going, in conclusion, in, in conclusion, in, in conclusion, and I don't know how many times I said it, maybe 15 times, just standing there in front of my peers saying, in conclusion, until I eventually, to my shame, just sat down <laughs> and quit. And so I don't really remember exactly how it happened leading up to, to that moment, but let me paint two scenarios for you. The first scenario is the teacher comes into the class that week and says, here's a list of instructions. Uh, you pick whatever you want to do your speech on. It has to be this long, intro, body, conclusion. All right, I will be judging you at the end of the week. We'll see you later. Or... Scenario two, the teacher comes and says, Mark, you're, you're a great kid. Man, I, I, just, I just really want to see you succeed. I want to see you do well at this class. I, I know you have it in you. you, you remember a couple weeks ago when you, when you bombed that test and, and I, I let you make it up? Yeah, I, I care about you. I want to see you succeed. Remember when we stay, had to stay late after class last week so I could help you grapple with that that English lesson, that grammar lesson that you didn't understand. See, you're smart. I know you can do it, and you know that I care about your success. And so here's the instructions. Do this, and hey, just a little heads up, a lot of people kind of phone in the conclusion. They think that they'll just be able to kind of wing it, and they've done all this work. Maybe they get get bored. But really, don't forget about the conclusion. All right, we'll see you. Which scenario is going to motivate me to successfully complete this, this task that I was given? It's the one where I, when the, the teacher kind of comes down to my level and says, man, Mark, you've got this. You can do it. Let me, let me help you, and let me kind of point out some things that can trip you up. 
But that's not what I did. I decided to, I probably got bored and wanted to play Space Invaders on the Atari or something. <laughs> but this is what we see Moses doing, right? Not just saying, hey, here's the, here's the law, make sure you don't mess up or God's going to, to be angry. No, he, re- he wraps the instruction of God in the story of God, revealing God's heart. So this is kind of our, our big idea for the day. The instruction of God, rooted in the story of God, would prepare Israel to be the representatives of God. So that is why Moses does what he does here in the book of Deuteronomy. And in the same way, for us as parents, for, as leaders, as Sunday school teachers, as youth leaders, whatever our role is in, in passing on the faith to the next generation, we know that the instruction of God, rooted in the story of God, right, which reveals God's heart of love and faithfulness, that is what is going to prepare our kids to be the representatives of God wherever he decides to send them. And so how do we do this? What does this look like? We do what Moses did. Oops, getting ahead of myself by one. How do we instruct the people? We, we don't just give them a list of rules, right? We can't just give our kids a list of rules. It's not going to work. Billy, do not have sex. Oh, also, make sure you're reading your word. Make sure that you're serving enough. Don't be angry. Don't covet. Don't be jealous. Don't steal. All right, God's watching you. Be good. Oh, can you just feel the, the heaviness of that? Right? I think there's two normal reactions to the, the heaviness of just this kind of command or instruction focus, right? It's either you're going to get kind of legalistic, like, man, God is really hard to please, and so I've got to make sure I do everything right or he is going to smack me. Or on the other side, people are like, man, God is really hard to please. I'm just not even going to do any of it. I'm just walking away. I can't keep, I can't do it right anyway. Why even try? But when our kids know the, the love and the grace of the Father, when they know his story, that he paid the infinite cost so that we could be saved, so that we could be delivered from sin and death, then obedience is not how they appease an angry God. Right? It is their response to the new life and the, uh, the love that they have so freely been given. And so we tell them the story. How do we tell the story? We, we find opportunities to say, God, the eternal one, created everything that we see. He created this perfect planet for us to live on, for our enjoyment. He gave us every tree, every fruit, everything, so that we could enjoy this creation. And yet, even in that place, when we had perfect relationship with the Father, when we had perfect relationship with one another and creation, we decided, oh, we want to do things our own way. And so, we shook our fist at God. We turned our back on on Him and said, no, no thanks. We're going to do it our way. And sin and death enter into the world. And now, we look around us and it is not hard to see. Sin and death and corruption are everywhere. And yet, even in that place, when we are shaking our fist, when we are enemies of God, he did not just blow us off. 
He said, man, I love them. I want to restore them. I want to redeem them. They're apparently not going to be able to do it on their own. So I will send my own son to pay the ultimate price so that they can be restored. And now, through faith in Jesus, we enter into this kingdom. We are adopted into God's family. Man, it's so amazing when we remember that story. And we should tell our kids that that big kind of meta story, but we also want to teach our kids, like, you know what? A few years ago, your mom and I, we had a really rough patch. And, And the world seemed to teach and show us and it felt like the, the right thing to do would just be kind of to jettison this marriage. Just to, let's get rid of this thing. You know what? I'm better off on my own. I've obviously mismarried. I'll find somebody who fits better. But man, son, what I, what I learned is that, that Jesus wants us to have great and flourishing marriages. And he said that the, the trick is actually mutual submission, laying our lives down. For one another. And when I obeyed the instruction of God, it turned our marriage around. Look at where we are now. We've never been better. So we look for opportunities to reveal the instruction of God within the story of God's heart and his love for each one of us. So, in conclusion, <laughs> what does this look like? Three steps. This is practical. We're supposed to be a practical journey right? Uh, What does this look like with our family? Well, step one is to love God. Mm -hmm. Remember, Moses instructed the the nation of Israel, remember God, remember all that he has done for you. And so we want, as as adults, as, as parents, as leaders, we want to stay in that place of remembering all that God has done for us. What, I don't know what this looks like for you. Maybe it's soaking, just waiting on God, listening for his voice. Maybe it is reading the word, not just to check it off your to-do list, but reading to encounter God. Maybe it's spending time in prayer, in worship. Whatever you need to do to remind yourself of God's unfailing, faithful love. Each of us needs to continually feel and know and experience the unconditional, the extravagant, love of God. We need to start there. And number two, we love our kids. We love our kids with that same love that we receive from God, that faithful, unconditional, gracious, patient, merciful love. We pour that love out on our kids. We are the greatest representation of God to our kids. And if we are going to do the outward journey well, we cannot neglect, we cannot forget this discipleship, this role that we have to raise up the next generation. Because as we've already said, these kids are going to go places where we will never go. So love God. Love your kids. Reveal God's heart to them. Number three, teach your kids. Find time to purposely sit down and talk to your kids about the things of God. 
And so often, we just want this to be organic and natural, like we're just going to walk down the, the, the sidewalk, and all of a sudden, our kids are going to ask us some you know, theological question, and we'll be able to reveal you know, this instruction of God. But I found that's never happened. That's very rarely, it's happened a couple times. It rarely happens, right? And so even though we just want it to be organic and natural, in my own life, I've found that I have to schedule something. I have to learn a, a, a rhythm of scheduled instruction, or else it's suddenly been six months and I haven't done anything. In this scheduled instruction, putting something on your calendar, right, it actually creates a foundation so that the natural, organic conversations are more likely to happen. One man I know does a short devotional with his kids before he sends them off to school every morning. My kids will hardly talk to me in the morning, so I'm not sure that's a a good choice for me. They're very tired. Uh, Amber and I have, uh, now we started uh, once a week, we just sit down and we're going through this uh, Bible study that we purchased together as a family. It takes like 20 minutes or something. It's pretty simple. And we want it to be easy and comfortable. And I'm a pastor. It should certainly be easy and comfortable for me, right? Well, it's not. I have to make myself do it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's tonight. But I know the benefit of it. And it's so life-giving. It is so fulfilling. And I know that it opens up those doors of conversation that just happen as we're driving to school or just happen, you know, in the evening after church or whatever. So look for times to, you know, figure out a way. How am I going to sit down and instruct and pray with my kids? And so, just like Moses reminded the the people uh, of God's instructions, but he rooted them in God's heart of love, his heart of faithfulness, we can instruct our kids in the ways of God and root them and built upon this unfailing love of God so that they are secure in that love and that they are ready to take that light, that salt, that gospel message to the place where God sends them. Amen. All right, well, let's pray, shall we? Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for your story. Lord, we thank you that, that... When we were your enemies, you sent Jesus to die for us, to to pay the penalty for our sin that we could never pay. And Lord, we we take hold of that through faith. We enter into your kingdom. We come into your family again. We're so grateful. Lord, help us to remember this story. Help us to remember your great unfailing love and help us to pour that out on the next generation. Help us to teach your heart and your instruction to those who you bring to us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.